0: Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of immersive travel stories from Scotland. I'm your host, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland and dream about future adventures, regardless of your travel plans. Each episode starts with a travel story to whisk you away. Then I'll tell you some of my top tips to visit Scotland for yourself. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. Our season of Scottish road trips continues and today we will find ourselves once again on the west coast of Scotland. We're going on a journey to the remote West Highland peninsulas and will drive down the single track roads of Artnermarchen and Morvern. I did this road trip earlier this year in May. It was my first trip after the winter lockdown ended here in Scotland and I was eager to explore a region that I had heard so much about, yet never managed to visit before. After a few days in the Angus Glens, I crossed the country from east to west and spent three days exploring the peninsulas. Not nearly enough to see everything on my list, but a good amount of time to get a taste. On my itinerary was a little bit of everything Scotland has to offer. A castle on a tidal island, remote beaches with soft sand and never-ending views. Lessons of history, walks in thriving nature reserves, an outing on a sea kayak, and those winding mountain roads. Some of these we'll visit together in today's episode. So get comfy and let me take you on an adventure. This is At Peace. I'll take the front ends and you'll take the back, Carl says to me and points at the black handles attached to the tip of the kayaks. I bend down, hold on to both handles, and on three we lift up. With Carl at the front and me at the back, we carry the kayaks a few metres down to the water's edge, just far enough that their bows float on the surface, but the sterns still rest steadily on the pebble beach. We load our bags into the hatches and I climb inside the cockpit of my kayak. I adjust my footrests and pull the spray deck out in front of me, sealing myself into position. A weird sensation, half human, half boat. I hold onto my paddle and self-consciously wait for Carl to push me into the water. on the West Highland peninsulas, an area west of Glencoe and Fort William. The area is often referred to as simply artnamurchan the best known among the five peninsulas you can find here. Carl has taken me out for a two-hour paddle near Salin, about halfway between Artgower, one of the main entry points to the area, and the artnamurchan lighthouse, the most westerly point of mainland Britain. Even though they are technically connected to the mainland, the West Highland peninsulas have a distinct island feel, surrounded by water on most sites, fairly remote and rarely included on Highland itineraries because they're just a little bit out of the way. You can even get here by ferry. A short journey, I'll have to admit that, but a ferry crossing nonetheless. I, however, did not arrive that way. I made my way to the peninsulas on the road from the north, driving halfway down the road to the isles and turning south in Loch Aylort. I spent that first day exploring Moidart, the northwesterly peninsula. I stopped near Glenuig for views of the small isles, visited Castle Chiram, which sits on a tidal island and guards the entrance to Loch Shiel. I drove out to Arto Beach and marvelled at the crystal-clear waters of Kentrow Bay. All in all, an eventful day. And now I find myself here on Loch Sunart, the longest sea loch in Scotland that splits Art from Morvern in the south. The water is clear and I can see the rocks below on the ground, tinted red by the colour of the water. But as we go on, the ground disappears into the depths and only the dark sea remains. The beach where we launched grows smaller behind me as we paddle on, staying close to the shore. At first, being afloat feels strange and somehow unstable, like a fish out of water just the other way round. But then, as I find my rhythm with the paddle... Using my feet and the footrests for balance, as small waves hit my boat, I suddenly feel weirdly at peace, closer to the sea than I've ever felt before. The water isn't flat, but it's also not choppy. Farther out on the loch, I can see bigger waves, with white horses on top. But here in the sheltered bays near Salon, the conditions are perfect for an inexperienced paddler like me. Carl is right by my side, giving me advice on my paddling and pointing out features on the shore to paddle towards. A gap in the trees, a large rock by the shore, the end of a headland. Behind, I see the hills rise in the distance. The pointy peak of Bain-Ressypole, and peaking just above its shoulder, what I believe to be Garvain, a few miles in the distance. These are not Monroe's, of course, but still sizeable corbettes, over 2,000 feet. There are patches of snow near the top of bain raisy and a big white cloud casts a shadow over the mountain, dipping the ridge in a dark, murky coat. We paddle on from one bay to the next, and watch as the sun and the clouds play catch on the shore. As we turn the next corner, we enter the calm waters of Salon Bay, With its deep but sheltered waters, this bay has provided a safe harbour for centuries. Irish gales landed here hundreds of years ago in their efforts to colonise the west coast. Later, Vikings arrived and came up with names for features along the coast, many of which we still use today. But it is the Gaelic language that shapes our experience of these landscapes. Salin comes from the Gaelic word for small inlet or bay. Nowhere else on the Scottish mainland are there more Gaelic speakers than the West Highland peninsulas. Almost 20% of the people who live here speak the language today. A little bit further lies Salin Nankulag, the Bay of the Flies. Carl tells me that the Vikings used this flat and shallow harbour as a natural dry dock. A place where they would overwinter their boats or beach them for repairs. Like much of this coastline, the Bay of the Flies was once framed by Atlantic oak woods, trees that make the air damp and clean. A Scottish rainforest rich in mosses and lichen and a perfect home for dragonflies. Over the centuries, these native oak woods had to make space for more productive conifer plantations, but pockets of these ancient woodlands still survive here, near Salin, and up and down the coast of Loch Sunart. We do as many seafarers have done before us, and enter the shallow waters of the bay. The shore is hemmed by grey rocks and slabs. Beyond them, Bright green grass looks inviting and soft. In the background there are uniform conifers, tall larches and bare-branched trees with spindly arms. Patches of seaweed float on a surface of the deep green water, reflecting the colour of the trees rather than the sky. On the shore it piles up in mounds like hundreds of molehills revealing the location of stones that are normally hidden on the seabed, now draped in dark, leafy fabric, still hiding and yet so obvious to spot. Carl and I land on the shore of this bay, get out of our kayaks and slowly make our way to dry land. While the coffee is brewing, Carl tells me the story of why there are no swans in Loch Soonart. A tragic legend of forbidden love. A chieftain's son and a poor crofter's daughter, their love so strong, yet not meant to be. His mother, not happy about her son's choice, turned the girl into a swan, and unbeknownst to him, he killed the bird on a hunt. It is said that all swans left Loch Soonart that day and have never returned. Warmed up from the coffee and a sweet piece of cake, Carl and I get back in our kayaks and begin our journey back to the start. The sun is back out and the breeze in our favour and so we fly across the water, past Salon and the bays on our way to the beach. Once the boats are securely put back on the trailer, I bid Carl farewell and get back in my car. The drive down the Artnamarchen Peninsula isn't long. From Salon to the lighthouse, it's about 25 miles. But the road is a journey you'll never forget. A single-track road through lush-looking woodlands and past remote bays. Whenever you reach a settlement, you'll know from the thick rhododendron that frames the road. It rises and falls, follows closely to the coast. Until you reach a viewpoint and the road turns inland. As I drive west, the trees slowly disappear and give way to open moorland and craggy hills. Ben Hyant is one of them, the tallest in fact, and if the weather was fair, a great viewpoint across the peninsula. But for me, the weather has turned. It's that time of the year where everything is possible, and so, after a sun-filled paddle on the loch, I find myself caught in a snowstorm on the road. I stop to get out and feel the wind in my face. Luckily, it only lasts for a wee while and by the time I reach the coast by Kilhoen, the sun is back out. Out here, I can see back in time. Hills rise on all sides around me, But I'm driving across a flat surface in the middle. Ardnammarchan rests on volcanic grounds. 600 million years ago, this area was rife with volcanoes. And from above, or on Google Maps, you can clearly see the round caldera left behind by the eruptions. Like concentric rings, the hills expand from the centre and the road leads through what once was a crater. Eventually, I reach the end of the road and follow a footpath across the grass, short in the places where sheep come to graze, longer among the sandy dunes. I follow the faint sounds of laughter and splashing, sure signs that I'm on the right track. And then the dunes stop and the sea comes into view. The sands of Bay, by many considered one of Scotland's most beautiful beaches. The people whose laughter I heard just a few moments ago is a pair of wild swimmers plunging now into the cold sea ahead. The beach is a spectacle of colours that is hard to describe. It's like a painter went mad in the attempt to create every possible shade of blue and poured it over the sky and the sea. The water sparkles in the sun and the white sand makes it hard to see clearly. I take my shoes off and feel the soft sand between my toes. I hear it crunching as I take one step and then another. The closer I walk to the water's edge, the rougher the sand gets, and I realise that it isn't just sand I'm walking on at all. It's thousands of seashells, some lying on top, others halfway buried in the ground. I have no doubt that one day they will all be crushed to fine sand but for now I enjoy walking across them like a gentle massage on the soles of my feet. Carefully I make my way across the dark rocks of a headland from one sandy bay to the next. From up here on the rocks the colour of the water intensifies and looks even brighter than before. The snow from an hour ago is long forgotten. There are a few other people walking along the sands, looking for shells and enjoying the peace. I join them for a little while longer, before it's time to head back and start the winding journey off the peninsula. Back in Strontian, I sip a glass of wine and watch the sun fall towards the horizon. As all of a sudden, My host comes outside and hands me a pair of binoculars. I look up and follow her hand pointing out at the loch. An otter is playing in the shallow low tide, diving down below the sea just to pop up in a new spot a few minutes later. It's a pleasure to watch and a perfect way to end the day. The next morning, I rise to the sound of wind and rain. Just Scotland doing its thing. It's my final day in the area, and I decide to drive a detour to see more of the peninsulas before I head home. From Strontian, the road takes me towards the head of Loch Soonard, and then to the south, to an area called Morvern. This is the southernmost of the peninsulas, and also the largest. The population is scarce in these lands, dominated by mountains and moorlands. I follow the road through vast landscapes of seemingly nothing but golden grass and moss-covered rocks. But like in so many places where this is the case, there's a dark story to tell. You see, the West Highland peninsulas like so many areas of Scotland as well, were forever impacted by the highland clearances. Rich landowners forced their tenants to make way for more profitable endeavours. And in Morvern, you can visit the ruins of a township that was cleared and abandoned during that time. Anymore was once a community of farmers. The crofts scattered along a river in a quiet glen just a few miles from the coast. But in 1824, the tenants were forced out by the landowner, who replaced people with sheep. Later, the land was taken on by the Forestry Commission, and for many years the ruins of the village fell into oblivion, buried below trees and undergrowth. In the 1990s, though, the Commission carefully uncovered the ruins of 22 buildings, built paths around the site, and commissioned a piece to commemorate the fate of the Crofters. The day we left anymore, I thought my heart would break. I read on a board at the car park. A quote from the account of one Mary Cameron, who was evicted from these lands all those years ago. I follow a quaint woodland trail until I reach a large clearing. The rain has stopped and slowly but surely blue skies are returning. I pass through a gate and follow the sign to the township. I walk among the ruins, the four walls of buildings still easy to see, even though the remains barely rise higher than my hips. I look around, look at the view and wonder How much, or how little, it has changed since the time this village was filled with the sounds of the crofters. The path continues and rises to a view from where he can see the entire village. The ground is covered in thick layers of moss, like tiny trees rising from the ground. I come to a bench and sit down for a rest. There is a speaker embedded in the wood, and two buttons to press. I choose the one that says English, and suddenly the speaker starts emitting a crackling sound. Sitting here on that bench, among the ruins, you can listen to the full story of Mary Cameron, the way she describes life in the village, and how she and her family were forced to leave the only home they ever knew. I listen to her harrowing account, first in English, then in Gaelic. Her story confusingly at odds with the peaceful surroundings I find here today. And then, before I leave, I press the button once again. <laughs> I get up and start walking as the wind carries Mary's words and the sound of the Gaelic language across the glen, the way it used to be a long time ago. And I hope she's at peace. In law it it world, and you enjoyed this story to the West Highland Peninsulas. Ending this story with Mary Cameron's words felt a bit heavier than what I normally do on this show, but I really felt it was important to include any more and acknowledge that the landscapes we so often perceive as wilderness today were, and still are, also home for people, and it's worth engaging with those stories when you're out on the road. Now, let's take a little breather and hear a story about our sponsors. And we're back. And now, let's get to the practical part of the show. Here are my top five travel tips for the West Highland Peninsula. Tip number one. Go kayaking with otter adventures. Remember Carl from my story... Well, he runs a business called Otter Adventures that offers guided sea kayaking, canoeing and cycling experiences. From taster sessions that last a few hours to fully customised multi-day adventures around the West Highland peninsulas. I can't recommend him enough. Tip number two. Stay at Otterburn B&B in Strontian. I spent two nights at Otterburn, which is actually run by Carl's wife, Laura. My room looked out at Loch Sunart, and I could literally watch the otter in the water from my bed. The B&B is a great home base to explore the different peninsulas in the area and I can't wait to return. Tip number three. Take your time. I recommend spending at least two to three nights on the West Highland peninsulas. Anything less and you will spend the majority of your time on slow single track roads instead of exploring the landscapes and historic sites the area has to offer. And believe me, driving down those winding roads takes much longer than you think. Tip number four. Be smart about your route. The Ardnemarkian Peninsula is pretty remote, and as such, there aren't too many facilities available. Think petrol stations, supermarkets or restaurants. They're not behind every corner. I suggest looking up those essential services and where they are before your trip so you can plan your days out accordingly without getting caught short on petrol or without snacks. Tip number five. Use my Artnermärchen travel guide. Last but not least, I actually wrote a travel guide for the West Highland peninsulas that is full of my own experiences as well as some additional tips I picked up from Carl and Laura. You can find it on my Scotland blog the link is in the show notes and with this I send you off to dream about your own trip to Ardnamurchan and the other West Highland peninsulas next week it's time for our mid-season break so there won't be a new episode out but if you can't go without why not listen to an episode from season one A Whole New World for example is another story about sea kayaking on the west coast I think you'd enjoy it We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks and even though I don't want to give away too much let's just say if you like a certain TV show set in Scotland you're in for a treat. Thank you so much for listening to Wild for Scotland. Remember, if you listen on Apple Podcasts I would really appreciate it if you could leave a star rating or write a review. It only takes a few moments and really helps us reach more people. Wild for Scotland is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Fran Turowskis is the producer and editor of the show. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan-Knight, the Tartan Trailburner. And all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel down a different road in Scotland. If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland, and it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.